David, why did you name yourself? I am the son of Sam. Go out and kill, commands Father Sam. Press had called me the 44 caliber killer. They had this absurd theory the gun somehow symbolized my penis. I'm not some crazed sex killer. I needed a name that explained who I really was, that I was being controlled by a 3,000 year old demon. People need to know demons are real. The Exorcist is based on actual shit. You saw The Exorcist. Everyone did. Drop it. Duncan and both come correct. Like, I had a shit ton of notes for that, but then when I was going through, like you, you were saying, with Mindhunter, it's very much like, well, this is a very straight narrative. Here's the thing that happens, and we are moving. Yeah, there's no waste. Like, when I think about the stuff we've done recently, I mean, Westworld, there's a lot of what's going on. What, what are people's agendas here? You know, what does this actually mean? Are they a, a robot or not a robot? When I think of Twin Peaks, that, you know, that's just a law into itself. Um, and then, you know, I think about something like True Detective this year and, you know, Too Old to Die Young. Like, when you watch Mindhunter, Mindhunter is all, almost, the, even though it's a horrible thing to say, but it's almost like the popcorn action flick of TV shows we've done recently. It's one that your brain doesn't really need to be switched on for to watch it, but you will have a fucking great time just absorbing everything that they're doing on such a high level as well. So. Yeah, and this is going to provide a much-needed outlet for our, our show serial killer obsession oh i can't wait like see when see when uh, uh david berkowitz showed up uh, whoever it is that they are getting to pick actors to look like these killers this guy needs a fucking emmy because all of them are their fucking spitting image like well, every single one thus far looks identical the twist in that duncan is they're actually clones <laughs> No, robots from Westworld that went back in time. Now that's a show I want to watch. Uh, speaking of shows I want to watch, Duncan. Oh, yes. Welcome to the new season of Duncan and Bo Come Correct this time around. We're calling it Duncan and Bo Hunt Minds because we're watching Mind Hunter and we're not that creative. <laughs> Don't throw we under the bus there. You came up with the show name, not me. Uh, well, I'm open to suggestions. We can We can turn this around right now. Um, That's what I thought, Duncan. <laughs> anyway, welcome back, folks. I'm Bo. That was Duncan, obviously. Uh, Hi, everyone. <laughs> so we are doing this season, uh, Mind Hunter, the David Fincher show. Uh, someone asked, "Hey, are you guys going back to watch it from the beginning?" We're like, "No, no, no. We're not. We're, we're not <laughs> that ambitious." Clearly, you have not listened to this show long enough, <laughs> right? We're we're very much about shortcuts. What is the easy way out? Yeah, it was different with Twin Peaks in that we knew season three was coming, what, six months after we started going back to season one. So we built into that one. In the case of this one, it's like, do you want to do season two? Yeah, well, well, let's just do season two. What about season one? Yeah, well, we watched it and that was like last year. So let's not let's not do that. That was, oh my God, that was so last year, Duncan. So last year, bro. It was so last year, it was almost a year ago. Yeah, and I went back and watched uh, before <laughs> season two began. I watched all of season one again. You madman. Where did you find the time? Uh, well, Duncan, I've quit my job and I've devoted my <laughs> life to Christ. I just wander the neighborhood now, handing out pamphlets and watching Mindhunter. 
Um, no, it's just, that's what I did for a few days. You know, it was like, Hey, I've got, you know, a <laughs> couple hours. In Hare Krishnas. <laughs> <laughs> you know, wandered the earth and had adventures, Duncan. Uh, <laughs> but isn't that true of all of us really mm-hmm. wandering the earth and just having adventures? Yeah. Yeah. This is true. Mm. This is, Yeah. Profound, profound right at the start. Get used to it, bitches. That's right. You're gonna, you're gonna learn something or else. That's our motto. That's uh, that. I was gonna open up one of them like SAT preparatory schools. That was gonna be the slogan. You'll pass your SATs, or we'll kick your fucking ass. Uh, it's it's a side shoot uh, office of Smokers Inc. I like that. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, it's only only if we can get James Woods in. I know he's crazy and right wing EF at the moment, but you know, I'd still watch him in that. Sure, sure. Like I I don't just because the guy don't agree with my politics, James Woods has earned a lot of uh a goodwill yeah, in I my don't know book. If he's, I don't know if he's all there though. Yeah, maybe you know, not. Nowadays I think he's maybe just went Nowadays. Went, yeah, I think he's went to the bad place. I mean, have you seen him in anything he ever acted in? Oh yeah, he's I a mean, delight. He's he he's been crackers for years. That's what kind of makes him like he's a dangerous actor, and yeah. I kind of like dangerous actors. I like the actors that really like we, through the right prism of looking at this performance. This performance is ridiculous, stupid, and terrible. But you know, through another side of the prism, this is borderline genius. That's James Woods. You know, now I want to see a movie where James Woods plays Nicolas Cage's father with a director whose only direction to either of them is more. See, and Sono then. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Let's be that. Let's let's say, I know he's doing something with Nicolas Cage. Let's just say, perhaps (laughs) you may want to cast James Woods as the father. I mean... (laughs) And just let him put him in a room and say like you know like Christopher Guest style, give him a topic, yeah. but <laughs> but let him know like the scene has to end with one of you choking the other out. It's like, we're like uh, perhaps James Woods is the father. He's like no, no father, only cat. Perhaps James Woods is a cat. <laughs> I get it. Suggestion. And Willem Dafoe and Michael Shannon will be my uncle and my uncle. Oh, my, that is a, that is a Broadway show waiting to happen, Bo. <laughs> Sign me up. Opening night. Oh, man. Oh, all right. But Duncan, uh, enough fan fiction for one episode, yes. or at least the beginning of one episode. Uh, so we're, we're talking about season two of Man uh, Mindhunter. I almost said Manhunter, but it is kind of Manhunter-esque. Yes. Yeah, I, I get that, Bo, and I appreciate that. I appreciate you appreciating that. And <laughs> so, but before we get into the Mindhunter show itself, we like to uh, talk about something we've been seeing, good and bad. And normally between seasons, it's like, look, just name a movie that you've seen in the past three months and it'll work because we haven't talked to each other in forever. In this case, though, it's only really been a couple of weeks since we wrapped yep. up the last season. So mm-hmm. uh, give me something good and bad uh, and don't bring me none of that old bullshit. Um, something good. I can weigh now in on the conversation that we had on the last episode of Too Old to Die Young. I have seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and I fucking loved it. Sure, it's a great movie. <laughs> it's a fucking incredible movie. Yeah. I'd like, I, some, I, I think sometimes Tarantino isn't given enough credit. I know that seems weird and almost asinine that you, you know, I would say that because it's like everyone loves Tarantino, but I think sometimes people forget 
how difficult it is to be him. You know what I mean? He's like the 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 weight that man must have on his shoulders entering any project at all that he has to convert it into his voice and his vision and all the rest and at the same time try and try and juggle so many Tarantino-esque qualities together and produce something at the end which will be more heavily critiqued than any other film this year by far like right. every every critic there are critics that for example pass on midsummer you know they're like that that's not the genre i watch i'm not watching that movie like no critic is passing over watching once upon a time in hollywood sure so the just the sheer the sheer velocity of people checking out that movie is insane and that's he just has to juggle that and what i've always loved about tarantino even the movies that i think are okay but not amazing um is how effortless he makes it feel on the screen. Like, everything feels like it was always meant to be that way, including this particular version of Hollywood. I, 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 I fell in love with it really, really, really quickly, right through to the, quite frankly, jaw-dropping end in which... I knew nothing about. Um, obviously, I knew the I knew what the background of what it's set against, and we'll, we'll touch on that. I, I imagine as we get further into Mind Hunter. Um, but I, all I heard was, you know, the endings. Classic Tarantino. It gets pretty graphic. So I just assumed. And I don't want to do spoilers or anything. I just assumed things were going to play in the way that I expected them to play. Sure. And was wildly surprised and almost stood up and applauded. Um, a certain uh, swimming pool scene, like yeah. I, like I was That's like super fun. I so badly wanted to hug everyone in the cinema and you know do that thing where you know Houston Control manages to save the rocket from crashing and everyone celebrates and for some reason there's always a toilet roll that gets thrown. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I was I was wanting to be that guy that threw the toilet roll. It uh, started the slow clap. That I just I absolutely loved it and the performances across the board. I understand how anyone could have issue with Margot Robbie's performance in this movie or lack thereof as they're claiming that she's not getting enough screen time. It's almost as if they don't understand the movie's not about her. I don't, you know, like, it's not about Sharon Tate. And I, I, I found that bit kind of like, because that's most of the negative press that seems to be as fashionable to hate Quentin Tarantino at the moment because that's the world we live in now and he's so fucking awful to all these amazing female characters he's given us. You know, all these empowered ones, Jackie Brown, uh, Beatrix from Kill Bill, um, you know, like uh, even through to Margot Robbie's performance, and this one, you like where he puts these really strong female characters on the screen that have depth and dialogue. Or you watch something like Death Proof, which is you know the, the end of that movie is as in f- female empowering as it gets on screen. But you know he's a he's a complete fucking chauvinist, boy. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, hates, I, hates women. I mean, who the fuck are these people? I mean, see, hating for hating's sake is getting boring and tiresome. I I mean I totally agree with you, and also like there is an argument to be made that the the fact that Margot Robbie doesn't say much in that movie is kind of the whole point of that storyline. Yeah. And and that it's just part of what the movie is, and you're right, in this one film, one of the main female characters doesn't say much, but that's sort of key to the story being told. Meanwhile, he's got an entire career of, like you said, like very sh- powerful female roles, 
and I, I, I just don't get it. I, it's one of those things. Look, there, there's plenty to be outraged by. That this is not w- worth your time. Uh, yeah, he's not the director to go swinging for. There are plenty, plenty of directors out there who are guilty of that. Right? Well, you know, we have some women in this movie, but they'll only speak about their boyfriends. I can't remember the name of that. Yeah, the Birkdale test, something like yeah, that. Yeah, where they literally don't speak about anything except relationships and their their respective partners. Um, and his ones that what I loved about her performance um, is the the insecurities that she had as a character. Like, I think Margot Robbie's an incredible actress, um, and I th- I think you know she is well worthy of future Oscars for sure. But what I lo- the scene of her in the cinema watching her movie and just like uh, like gleefully experiencing yeah. like being the, delighted like, by the yeah. fact that she is an a legitimate entertainer people are laughing at her on yeah. the screen and she realizes i'm a, i'm for real yeah i, I love that yeah. i really really I, like I, yeah it was it was just an incredible movie i mean you could argue it's maybe brad pitt's best movie fuck you know like i told you he is so redford in this movie it hurts but he's so redford in this movie but his profile for with with age he's starting to look very much like guy pierce and like i had to double take about fucking 10 times at the screen i was like that is guy pierce is 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 he he pulling like a a stunt double on the stunt double here i he He's he's phenomenal, and Leonardo DiCaprio. I I don't know what is about him and Tarantino, but Tarantino just seems to really get these fun, playful performances that you would never equate to him as an actor. You know what I mean? Like because DiCaprio plays so many serious roles and hard hitting roles for whatever reason. When Tarantino puts him in his movies, Tarantino allows him the opportunity to just play these big, silly, dumb, over the top characters that I absolutely love. And when he nails that scene um, after fucking up, uh, oh yeah, and you know the little girl comes across and says, "You know, it might be the finest acting I've ever seen." And all the rest, and the kind of tears in his eyes and all the rest and all that. This is fucking cinema, man. Honestly, I, I just I, like the whole thing. And people saying it's it's too long. Give me, I would have sat through another hour of yes. that movie and I, not complained at all. I, I can't wait for the Netflix expansion on this one. Oh uh, yeah, which I, I've heard it's a thing. So yeah, uh, I heard that. I heard that you know it's, it's over three hours and yeah, you know I, and that's split up and I'm like that's cool with me. Give yeah, me that's a world that I I liked living in and I, I thought it was wonderful. So all right, a couple of questions for you. Yep. How great is the scene with feeding the dog? <laughs> like nothing happens in that scene. There's no spoilers here. Like well, they mentioned the feeding the dog scene. Some shit's about to go down. No. It's nope. just him feeding a dog, and it's fucking mesmerizing because t- because Brad Pitt is a honest to goodness movie star, and yeah. watching him feed his dog is fascinating. Yeah, no, like the, the fact that like in another movie that's a like in a movie like Lethal Weapon, for example, him feeding the dog takes all of what what two seconds, and he's drinking his beer, and that's it. Tarantino labors this point. And I got lost in it. Like I don't know how yeah. long he was feeding the dog for, but once again, I would I would have watched him wash his dishes after that. Maybe tidy up the. Yeah, <laughs> I, it's, I absolutely love that. It's yeah, that it's just a gorgeous movie. It is, and and like I told you, and you sounded skeptical when I said this. 
I, I told you uh, the last time we talked, I, I thought it was Tarantino's most optimistic movie. Um, I would agree with that, actually. I, th- I think I think it is. I, I, I'm, I'm with you 100%. It's clear that he has like a deep love and affection for that time period. Yeah. Um, and I think the, the ending being pivoted in the way that it is speaks very much to that. Right. Of like, you know, as the title suggests, like what, it, like that is what Hollywood is. It's one great big fairy tale. Yeah. And now here's this version of it that yeah. everything, everything's cool, you know? See, and see the whole Italy stuff though, with the, the posters that are coming up. Oh, I know. And I'm like that. This is literally my Italian collection series that I've been doing for the last three years. I'm like, I'm sure I've seen that fucking That's, movie. Dude, <laughs> the, the fact that they pay just lip service to the fact that like, Leonardo DiCaprio hates the fact that all these uh, uh, directors, the Italian directors, just let everyone speak their native tongue. Yeah. And he's like, uh, I'm just not cool with that, man. I don't like it. Um, I, I thought that was really funny. Just a nice little touch. And, uh, which is only like it's so specific again to just people who love movies and know that's a thing and plus that's that's that was the industry yeah and the in the late 60s if you were a has-been hollywood actor you would fuck off to italy for two years you would make a ton of money by starring in like 20 movies shot back to back um and then you would come back, maybe pick up one or two things when when you could back in in Hollywood. If things were still pretty quiet there, you jump back over to Italy, do another twenty movies in a year, and then come back over. Like John Saxon made a fucking like about ten to fifteen years worth of his career before he found his little renaissance. Um, and the kind of the the eighties coming back to do things like Nightmare on Elm Street and stuff. Um, He's in God knows how many of those Italian rip-off movies. Yeah, and like he's loads. great in all of them. He's fucking brilliant. The, 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 one of the greatest little factoids I've ever read is um, he's in a movie called Cannibal War or Attack of the Cannibals. I can't remember. It's fuck all to do with cannibals. Um, it's, it's more like a zombie movie. And... It's on the video nasties list, so me and Andy Block led to do it for doing the nasty and started reading into it. And in interviews, he cannot remember doing the movie at all. He was blind drunk for the entire shoot. And the reason that he was blind drunk and he did the project at all, um, like script unseen was, he was going through a messy divorce. That was literally it. Drank himself into a stupor, just signed up to do it. Yeah, and just gets me through the next three months. And did this, what could only be described as incredibly bad, fun little movie about fucking an outbreak in Manhattan. Um, yeah, he just did a career at that. I mean, yeah, but that, I loved all, all those little things are just little attentions to detail that some of the camera angles, he, he is clearly at the age now that he doesn't give a fuck if people think he has a foot fetish because it's on show all the way through the yeah movie. i i kind of fucking feet everywhere man i wonder if at this point he's just leaning into it because i would yeah because I, I, I said him. the same thing i was like man maybe up until margot robbie goes to the movies i was like i don't know maybe he's cleaned his act up and then off come the shoes and her feet go on the seat in front of her and it's like yep. well all right i spoke too soon and then it's just left feet and right everywhere. yeah it's feet 
everywhere. And I'm like, well, you know what? He can he can do whatever the fuck he wants. You know, he's 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 earned that goodwill from me. Uh, yeah, I thought it was an absolutely incredible movie. To be honest, like I always do my top twenty horror movies, and always do my top ten movies that I've seen this year. It's Jocelyn for the top man. Honestly, I I I. It's a pure joy of a movie. I, I cannot wait to go and see it again. And anyone that's been in earshot of me since I saw it last week has had to listen to me talk about how great I think it is. So there we go. And then, like, they're, they're talking about, like, like uh, maybe this is, like, the kind of, you know, he's, he's Twilight Years, or he's, this is I'm starting to reclaim it, as if he didn't do the fucking Hateful Eight. It's like people forgot that movie is fucking awesome. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I, I don't understand it. Like, I, I think even on his worst days and widely considered his worst film is Death Proof. I think Death Proof is fucking awesome. So, I mean, yeah, I'd like, if that's your worst movie, you're a director, nine films into your career, then you're doing well. Yeah. Yeah. No, he, Tarantino is doing just fine. He is, uh, he's a brilliant filmmaker and, and more of a student of film than, you know most of the critics who are yeah. complaining about his movie so uh yeah i i give him the benefit of the doubt if he wants to indulge his foot fetish fine but it's a beautiful movie and oh god yeah just those... I, 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 if it doesn't get awards man then something's uh, something i mean it has done everything possible to tickle the anus of the academy you know what i mean i mean but it's the most unacademy movie ever made <laughs> it is at the same time but it totally isn't that end of that movie is generally something that they would look down their nose at so yeah well, i i found myself uh saying a lot i'm the devil and i'm here to do the devil shit <laughs> uh <laughs> i think that is one of the funniest lines i've ever heard um, oh, it's so good, so good. So, uh, what, all right, what is your bad? Because clearly, that's the good. So it's not, it's not necessarily bad. It's just maybe not as good as I hoped it was going to be. Um, this episode will come out post my review of Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, um, the new uh, movie by was it Andre Overdahl, the yeah. guy that did um, Troll Hunter and. Autopsy of Jane Doe, uh, but it's Guillermo del Toro's produced it. It's based on this book that I think was banned in America. I've never heard of it before. I've heard like through doing these podcasts, I know of it through Reputation, but yeah, like it's not anything that ever hit the UK with any level of gusto or any kind of kickbacks, which surprises me because in the UK we like to ban things. So, um. It's maybe why it was not even bothered to, to be released over here. Uh, the movie is like a kind of darker version of Goosebumps. Mm-hmm. And yep. that is about it, really, to be honest with you. I liked some of the creature designs. I thought they were done really well. I actually liked the cast, and I love the fact that it's period set as well as the the um the script and stuff like that like the fact to say at Halloween was cool. Um it's just a very vanilla movie to me. Like it, it didn't do it's not I I don't think I'm the aimed market for it either. I think it's probably aiming for people that are a bit too old for goosebumps but maybe a bit too young for fucking hereditary. Uh, you know what I mean it's somewhere in that kind of fifteen year old age range. 
I mean, it was a fun movie that flew in at a zip, but it, it, it felt like I had seen the movie before a few times. You know, there was a couple of cliches in there that made the eyes roll a little bit. Um, and narratively speaking, it, it was just very much a repetition. Like once the central reveal had ha- happened, it was just like, well, let's well, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, end. Um, I scored that a three and a half out of five on my one. And I reckon if I watch it again, probably not till next year, it might drop down to a three. I think it's a, a, it's a fun popcorn movie, but it's not, not what I hoped for, actually. I, and I don't know what I was hoping for, but when it finished, I was like, eh, that's all right. You know, no great desire to rush away and watch it again. Glad it's doing a lot of business, though. Um, but yeah, it was just a bit. It was okay. It was. It wasn't amazing. It was fun, and that's about it. Yeah, I I agree with everything you said. I think I, I gave it the same score. Uh, oh right, it. so you've seen it as well, I, then? I, I did. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I like. I I I didn't offend me in any way. I don't think it necessarily did anything wrong. It just like like I said, all the way through that movie, I knew exactly where it was going, and I've never read the book, so. Yeah, I I thought the I, I thought the creature design stuff was very cool. Yeah. Um but that's sort of where it begins and ends with me. Like it's it, like you said, it's not bad. It's all very serviceable, but the most interesting thing about it are the things that look like are like hey, this is a creepy monster. And I remember the book a little bit. I I I was there were other scary story books that I read. I I that I remember more clearly, but, um, yeah, I, you know, it was fine. And, and as far as being like an introduction to like a, you know, preteens getting into horror and stuff like that, it's like, yeah, if that's what doesn't like, there's some stuff in it that's creepy enough that it could tickle the, uh, the, the budding horror fan for sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, some of the, some of the, the creature that pieces himself back together is fucking awesome. Yeah. I, I think I the, yeah that's really cool and i thought the nurse things were were real creepy looking they look kind of goofy but that's almost what made it scary was yeah. like it, it looks a little friendly almost and but not, yeah, not weirdly right. friendly no yeah. one wants to give you a hug you know what i mean it's kind of right. weird um yeah like i say it was fine for what it was and yeah when it finished i was like oh okay then that's okay. What about yourself? What you seen? Good, bad. Let, let me, me know. let me start with the bad because it, it ain't that bad. It's kind of a, a scary stories to tell in the dark situation. Mm-hmm. But I saw ready or not, here I come. You can't hide. <laughs> uh, oh, sorry, it's just ready or not. Um, yeah, and we saw we finally saw the trailer for uh, yesterday when we went to see scary stories to tell in the dark. It's now it's not out in the UK yet. It is early September though, and the trailer looked a lot of fun. It is uh, a perfectly fine one of those. Yeah, there was like, when I was watching it, there was a little bit of, this kind of feels like someone's went, let's like morph Little Red Riding Hood with your next. Yeah, very similar to that. There's a lot of your next in it, but your next is kind of way better. Fucking rad. Yeah, and it's, it, it feels like there are times when it, it approaches the movie it should be, uh-huh. you know, where it gets a little silly with how gleefully dark it is. Mm-hmm. And then 
it, it kind of backs away from that tone and, and plays a little more down the middle th- than you would like. And it also sets itself up as kind of a satire, but it really doesn't have much to say other than, you know, rich people are kind of mean to poor people. And it's yeah. like, eh, fine. It like, again, there, there's nothing wrong with what the movie is doing. And there are legitimately some great moments in it. I, again, this is a three and a half stars kind of situation where it's like, you should see it. It's fun. And uh, Samara Weaving, who was in The Babysitter, and she's really good in this also. A lot of screaming. A lot of screaming from uh, <laughs> Samara Weaving in this one. But she's good at it. Like, she's a good uh, a good screamer. And um, it never gets quite as, like, her kicking ass as you want it to, like it does in your next. Which mm-hmm. is unique, because that character is, like, exactly the wrong person, if you're part of that family, to put in this situation. Yeah. Whereas Samara Weaving is just any old, any old person. Like she is not prepared for this and it's, uh, it it would be more fun if she were a little more kick-ass, I think. But, uh, it also would be a different kind of movie. Um, so it's, it's fine and, and you should see it. And, and you, like I said, you'll have a good time. It's, you know, a fun hour 40 or so, um, doesn't overstay its welcome. There is some funny shit in it. Um, I wish it were, it's one of those movies that I'm like, you can see the better movie inside this one. And, All right. it, and if it just had a little more sass to it or something, like I'll just if it had a little more swagger, if it was willing to be a little bit more playful than it is even. And, it, yeah. and it's more a comedy than it is like a straight horror film, but it needs to be, you know, like there's some good gory stuff in it even. It's just not quite there i'll I'll be curious once you see it i would Mm -hmm. like to have that conversation if you felt the same that i did that like this is fine but everybody in this movie is kind of deserving of a slightly better one right um and and there there's one to be had if you would do there's one gag that's kind of an almost spinal tap-esque joke (laughs) joke about the staff dying and it's like it, there needs to be like ten other things like that, yeah, and and make it feel like all Adam's family and weird and shit, and and it's perfect. But mm-hmm. anyway, uh, so that's kind of my bad, it, and and again, it ain't all that bad. Uh, if, if you come back and you're like, "Bo motherfucker, Ready or Not" is <laughs> is a perfectly fine horror movie, I'm not gonna disagree with that. <laughs> Uh, if you if you tell me it's the best one you ever saw, then I'm going to give you a list. Um, <laughs> but the good, holy shit, Duncan! Oh, here's another thing I, I watched all of uh, the boys on Amazon. Yeah, I'm behind on this one. Fuck, um, dude! I've heard good things. I've heard good things. Realistically, uh, I'm about a month away from being able to commit any time to watch it. So, but everyone that I know has watched it. Has loved it. Yeah, it, it's super strong, man. Uh, it is um, for for those of you listening who don't know what the boys is. It is an Amazon exclusive series about a world in which superheroes exist, but they are all employees of a big corporation, mm-hmm. and this corporation will license superheroes to cities, and they keep their seven main superheroes uh, there in their corporate tower. Um, which is essentially the Justice League. Like, there's a dude who runs fast, and there's a dude who talks to fish, and there's a Superman character. I mean, it's the Justice League. They're just not called that. (laughs) And 
Uh, the the premise of the show uh, hinges on uh, the main character, Huey, who is uh, leaving work with his girlfriend one day when she is struck by the super fast flashlight character and pulverized because he is moving and, you know, near the speed of light. And she just turns into red mist. And, uh. and so Huey then becomes embroiled in a scheme to kill the superheroes to, mm-hmm. to do what cannot be done and murder gods among men. And, uh, Keith Urban is in it or Carl Urban. I'm sorry. Carl Urban is in it, uh, as a, a guy named butcher, uh, who is full bore, uh, about killing superheroes and is a real fun character. And it's just tremendous, man. It is fucking dark it is grim as <laughs> shit. There is some stuff that happens on that show that is among the most heinous things I've seen happen on a show <laughs> anywhere. And it's a show about a bunch of stupid superheroes. It's great. Um, it, it like Even if you don't care about superheroes or whatever, like this is one of the few times I will ever say, it doesn't matter if you like superhero stuff. In fact, this show will probably work better if you don't. Because all the superheroes are fucking assholes. <laughs> and it's beautiful. Um, I, I, I'd like, like, because everything I've seen, I like, and I don't mind those sorts of shows. Like, so, um, like, we'd watched, uh, oh, fuck. Like, things like Preacher and stuff, like, on Amazon. Like, we've enjoyed that in the past. So, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm totally in the mood to watch this, but. Uh, for the listeners out there that might not know, I'm in the process of getting ready to move house. Um, so, like, trying to find time that me and my wife can commit any... The reason that we, we'll find that when we get into our mind hurt, mind hurt conversation, one of us went full in and watched a lot of that, while the other one only watched two episodes. Yeah, but I'm not going to spoil anything. I'm not going to be like... No, I, yes, of course not. Yeah. <laughs> You're never going to guess what happens in episode five, dog. Hey, guys, it's the devil again. Oh, no. Who made the devil? Uh, These are my boys. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, it's it's on the list. Um, The guys from uh, Scott and Liam did nothing but rave about it. I think the Baz has seen it since as well, and he's been raving about it. So, yeah, yeah, it is very much on the list. I look forward to checking it out. I can't imagine I won't enjoy it. It's, like I say, just finding that that little gap of time there that I can say, you know what, I'm going to watch 10 episodes of this TV show. And I would say it's one of those things, almost like one cut of the dead or or something, where it's like, and people are going to tell you how great it is. It don't matter. Like when you see it for yourself, it's even better than yeah. what people told you. You know, it, it's there's there's something for everyone in that fucking show. I guarantee it. Um, no matter what kind of awful shit you want to see unfold on screen, <laughs> it's like the Tom Waits of television shows. Oh, dude, don't just be dropping Tom Waits. Where it like every episode is just like, oh, you thought the last one was bad? <laughs> Here's some awful shit to go along with the awful shit from the previous episode. Um, it's great. Like the the number of children that fucking die on that show. Um, I don't know what I was going to say to you. This is slightly off-piste, um, but 
I don't know what the release status is in the States, but if you have a multi-region player um, in Fabric, the new Peter Strickland movie is getting a Blu-ray release in the UK next week. Oh, wow. Okay, well, I'll import that then. So, yeah, I don't know what the status is in the States, but is I think A24 have the rights to it in the States, so that might mean any time, but uh, Curzon Media in the UK are putting it out on the 26th. Very nice. That is good to know. Good information for our listeners who are... Yeah, that's fan- a high recommend for me. I've spoken about it in a previous episode. I think it's kind of fucking amazing, but that should surprise no one because anyone that's listened to Duncan and Bo speak about Peter Strickland know we kind of love that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh boy, that Duke of Burgundy is so good. So fucking good, man. So, so good. Oh, it's so good. All right. Hey, speaking of so good, Duncan. Yes. Let's talk about some Mine Hunter. Yeah, let's do it. So Mine Hunter, of course, is the Netflix series, for those of you who don't know, uh, which seems surprising given that you're <laughs> listening to this, but um it is uh kind of produced by uh often directed by David Fincher. Yep. Um, who is the other name on it that's really weird? Like uh, Charlize Theron, I think. Yeah, she's one of an the producers. producer or something. Yeah, or... I, has never shown up on the show, but like every time I see her name, I'm like, oh right, that's crazy. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't understand the. I don't think I fully understand the connection either. I don't know if this is a like she has some sort of working relationship with David Fincher or is it her involvement with, you know, did she somehow acquire the rights to the book or because sometimes that's how names get involved. You know, they acquire to do something off the back of it. But then the most I could think is that if she was to be cast in it, she would be that um, psychologist, kind of doctor psychologist, which doesn't feel like a very Charlie Theron role. So I'm I'm completely confused by it, but it's a name that pops up. You're like, oh well, this has like got some big names, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, honestly, have has Fincher ever directed Charlie's Theron? I don't think so. No, to the best of my knowledge, um, no. That would be great. I'm uh, uh yeah, what that needs to happen. <laughs> all right, I'm on board. Anyway, um, yeah, so it is all about the beginnings of the behavioral science unit. Uh, at at the FBI and Quantico, and we have Holden Ford is is our hero. We're gonna. This is kind of a shitty season one recap where <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Holden Ford is kind of our main character. He's uh, he's got a like a savant like talent for interviewing serial killers. Yeah, they stumble onto this is like really the beginning of what we now know as the psychopathology of serial killers. So they stumble onto maybe these serial killers have patterns in their behavior um, from when they were kids that would allow them to create profiles of potential crimes that have been committed and in the first season they go around they meet a couple of different serial killers and interview them but what comes off the back of this is uh, Ford is not only does he have that savant like ability but he is incredibly arrogant like to the point where he will he doesn't he thinks that the rules that are set in place the protocols that are set in place are so archaic and will you know he knows better and he will stop at nothing to basically prove that he is right um much to the kind of dismay 
of the people not that only not only work around him, but his partner, um, who is played by, and this still makes me laugh, the guy that plays the the, the guy with the long hair, the Indian guy in um, Creepshow. Oh, right. Yeah, it's him. You know, I'm going to go to America and be a big star. It's the same actor. Uh, yeah, uh, a guy named uh, Holt McCallany. Yeah, oh, it's, it's the same. It just blows my mind whenever he's on the screen. I was just like that. Yeah, he did finally get to Hollywood and did get that career. He, he certainly did. Um, yeah, he's been in uh, a bunch of shit. Uh, namely, he was in Fight Club. Yep. Uh, for a brief part, he was in Three Kings. He's, I mean, he's been, boy, I mean, working pretty regular, like, uh, since, honestly, Creepshow 2. That, like, that's his second movie. Yeah. And, uh, and has been working steadily ever since. Although, this is kind of, I would argue, the role of a lifetime for this guy. He's, oh, he, he's yeah, he good. is really, really, really good. I mean, that's, I think that's the thing that, and we'll get into here. The thing that surprised me with season one of Mindhunter was how good across the board, not only the writing was, but the casting. The casting was incredible. Both myself and yourself, it's safe to say, Bo, are aficionados of uh, serial killer culture, uh, students of, of kind of the the true crime documentary and yeah there's it exists in a any world that i'm very interested in i've got like a like a keen kind of social interest in but the fact that they are obviously doing uh, for all intents and purposes sensationalized alternative history to an extent like the interviews did happen they didn't happen the way that they necessarily portray them in the show um is it, it's like hugely fascinating to me, but if you get a detail wrong about a serial killer, then you know I'm out. You know, if this shows about serial killers that exist in the real world, and you get details wrong, I'm not one to watch this. Um, but what I found fascinating about the first season and what has made me so excited about the second season is, in the very first season, each episode started with a guy, just like a clip of a guy doing something. And it's very, very quickly, if you're aware of your serial killer lore, this is like the beginning of BTK. And the fact that they have that in the background and are now about to link that into the show makes me very excited. So the first season ended with Ford going out to see Ed Kemper, the co-ed killer, after being basically suspended, close to suspension, flying out to California, going to meet him, had the weirdest interview you could possibly have, and Ed Kemper came across and gave him a hug. And when he walked out, he collapsed with what at first appeared to be a heart attack. Season two, Bo, didn't jump ahead six months or a year, which I hate when they do that. It just kicks right off where we finished. Yeah, I mean, we get uh, kind of the answers to things pretty quickly here. Although, to begin with, of course, we have to start, uh, as we do pretty much every episode, with Park City, Kansas. Yes. And so uh, our our hero, uh, Dennis Rader, (laughs) um, it's his house and his wife has come home from shopping. And she hears something, and the show does a little bit of a fake. Like, we know, again, if you kind of know anything about serial killers and, and that, 
like to, to the point where you know shit like oh this is where they were from and this is how they killed people and this is how they got caught that kind of weird shit that sometimes you you shouldn't seek it out but there it is on the internet and that's what you end up doing with an evening uh but yeah so you know that this dude is btk uh, but they play with the idea that, oh, maybe this is a victim, but it's not. It's his wife who um, hears something in the bathroom and opens the door to to find her husband, the light of her life, the 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 uh, what father of her children mm-hmm. um, with a lady's mask on <laughs> uh, jerking off while. He, you know, uh, has a, a loop around his neck tied to the the bathroom door handle in a little bit of autoerotic asphyxiation fun. Yeah, I believe we call that the Paul Hutchinson. Um, so <laughs> the Michael Hutchinson, you mean? Michael, not Paul. Michael. Fuck. Yeah, yeah. If you're gonna just shit all over the name of the dead, <laughs> at least get the right dead guy. Uh, but he did die. I, I, I heard that he stroked himself in excess, but... Um, oh, Duncan, really? What? Who? Is it uh, too soon, Bo? Come on, it's like fucking 25 years ago. Is it too soon? Uh, too soon? No. I suppose you're right. Um, but, you know, the, the poor guy just was trying to get... Just trying to get one off. That's all that was going on there. He's like, he's like it's, it's not what it looks like. Yeah, oh... <laughs> Yeah, and please explain, please explain what it actually is then, because to me, there's only one explanation here, and it's creepy as fuck. Yeah, no, the best part of this scene is when the wife runs off, and he's chasing after her, yelling, in the mask, in the mask and, and the pantyhose, and the whole deal, and is like, I was just goofing around. It's like, <laughs> eh. I mean, like a goof is when you make up a song about slicing up an avocado or something. That's just yep. goofing around. That's giving around, Bo. I don't know if you know that, but that is what they call giving around. <laughs> but just goofing around. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, if you're, you know, if you are up to wearing a mask, the goofing around has ended. Uh, yeah, yeah. If you if if you are caught with your pants around your ankles wearing a doll mask, um, with a knot around your neck and your hand on your penis, um. Goofing around feels a bit too playful for that. Yes. A perfect way to put it. A little too playful for what's happening. And so then we cut over to Fredericksburg, Virginia, where we are with uh, Bill Tinch, uh, Special Agent Bill Tinch, the kind of more, uh, you know, career FBI, a little more by the books kind of guy uh, of of the team, uh, attending church with his family. Uh, He's Catholic. Uh, You can't hold that against him. (laughs) <laughs> and the priest uh, is talking about the importance of the cross. Yeah. It's and very important. I don't know if you know that, Bo. It is very important. And outside, Bill uh, is encouraging his kid, Brian, who is this kid that he and his wife, Nancy, adopted and when he was three years old. And he is a little bit of a creepy kid. Uh, yeah. He just. Yeah, no, no, you're right. You're right. He's, he's a little cold. He doesn't really talk a lot. A little bit of a creepy kid. <laughs> Future serial killer in the making. Right. And he's like, hey, Brian, why don't you go play with the kids over there? And Brian's just like, yes, father. 
<laughs> I will play with the ball, father. <laughs> I will play the sports ball game. Uh, and so he and Nancy are uh, like loading some shit in the back of their car, family truckster kind of kind of vehicle. And yeah. Nancy's like, "Hey, remember, we're having a barbecue." this afternoon and I need you to actually talk to the people we're inviting over. <laughs> yeah, I need you I need you to now the only thing I'm gonna ask you not to do is mention dead bodies, murder and rape. Can we agree on that? Yeah, of course, honey. I mean it's a barbecue. What's the worst that's gonna happen? Yeah. I know that you know a lot of awful shit. Don't <laughs> say any of it at this party. And uh and, and it, there's a pretty funny Bill moment where She's like, uh, he's like, I've worked 65 hours this week. She's like, I've got two coolers of beer for you. And he goes, I'll be a social butterfly. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, all right, I'm with that. You know, that's it's a man after one heart. Uh, uh, absolutely. And then uh, Brian shows up all, all messy from playing football. And uh, Nancy's like, oh, Brian. And Bill, meanwhile, is like, no, nah, looks like he was out there playing. Good job, Brian. You were like a normal <laughs> child for about two and a half minutes there. He's like, thank you, Father. <laughs> I will now go to the abattoir. <laughs> I should retire to the bathing chambers, Father. I have become soiled and unclean. <laughs> I will beat myself with a whip. Don't do that. <laughs> why, why do you have a whip? Hey, you don't have to do that, little partner. It's fine. No, no, Father. I see the disappointment in your eyes. With a whip! I shall punish myself harshly. Do not open the door. <laughs> it's not what it looks like. It's not. <laughs> no, no matter the sounds, Father. You may mistake pain for pleasure. It happens. Oh. Uh, <laughs> oh. Yeah, so good. So good. I have ordered a gift for myself. They call it the lament configuration. <laughs> Please don't open it without me, Father. Ah, yes, little child playing football. Yes, it is I, Pinhead. I have returned. Ah, and what is this? No, Mind Hunter is not fun for me. I will go away just now because Duncan has not anticipated my appearance on this show, so does not have any funny lines. No, no. Uh, why don't you sit down for a second, Pinhead? We got a few questions for you. We're, uh... <laughs> tell us about the. Tell us about the first time you killed someone. <laughs> For some reason, I thought it was on Dateline to catch a predator. Oh, no. I, I did not know that this was an underage 13-year-old boy that had opened the box. <laughs> um, I, These condoms, uh, I, I always carry them with me. And I'm sure the child said when he opened the box that he was 19. All right, I'll, I'll give you the rubbers, Pinhead, but why the video games? <laughs> um, uh, uh Yes, I, I mean the video games. Yes, uh, uh, oh, um, right. he I'm rushes outside. He <laughs> rushes gets, gets fucking teased by the police. Yeah, <laughs> I want to see that now. I want to see slasher killers on to catch a predator. Yeah, you know, like the like the, like the ghost face killer phones up like Sydney and then arrives at our house only to find that fucking Chris Hansen's there. <laughs> Mr. Ghostface, you just want to take a seat there. Oh, uh, my dad's going to be so mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mr. Ghostface, why is your father going to be upset? 
Yeah, the, the, oh my god, it's, it's the catch the catch a slasher killer. Oh, that's, that's pretty good. <laughs> Dude, that's a movie. Why are we get that fucking written there? Let's make that shit. Done and done. This will all be cut out. <laughs> so, so meanwhile, uh Bill is up to some grilling at this barbecue. Yes, not gr- not grilling his guests. Yeah. <laughs> that, where was the first time you had a sexual fantasy over a dead body? <laughs> I only wanted the burger. I just wanted the burger. When was the last time you masturbated thinking of eating? <laughs> and, <laughs> but uh, Bill's kind of by himself and Nancy comes out and is like, hey, I told you to talk to people, dick. And he's like, right, right. Uh, and she's like, hey, let me introduce you to this friend of mine. And they're kind of chit-chatting for a second. And then as soon as he starts saying like oh i work at behavioral science at quantico that's what i do for a living and some more guys come around and they're like hey uh what's that like and he's like well (laughs) we we talk to killers i'm really not supposed to talk about and they're like fuck that dude you talk to killers you know like spill who were you talking to he's like well you know we talked to richard speck you were in the room with richard speck what the fuck man (laughs) With, like, being us, essentially, of just gathering around, like, you need to tell us what you can. Yeah, his wife's in the background, not best pleased. Right, just like Ixnay on the aerial killer, say. (laughs) And she's unhappy about it, but everyone else is is loving it. Um, Meanwhile, we cut back to Vacaville, California, Uh where Holden wakes up in... uh, like is bound in a bed yeah he's not having a good time right and he's still completely panicked and they're like hey if we release these restraints are you gonna be able to keep your shit together and he's just like like he's not (laughs) doing well and (laughs) so then we find bill hanging out in his car uh at quantico (laughs) He got the Dougie voice, the Dougie Jones voice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he has a little Dougie Jones in this scene. Um, but <laughs> uh, uh, <yeah>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but Bill uh, lo- like strolls in to work, which he knows is going to be a shit show. Because when last we left our team, um, they had uh, an office of professional conduct. Uh, inquiry going on yeah because there's a whole deal where uh holden used some some dicey language when they were in the uh richard speck interview Mm -hmm. and he ordered some of that transcript at bill's behest who was like hey maybe you don't want that transcript getting out there because of what you said where he was talking about some cons and it was it was nasty it, yeah, but it was nasty, not if you're a Scotsman, where that's just, like, par for the course of the vernacular. Yeah, semi-affectionate. Yeah, well, yeah, that, I've said many times before, if, if I, if like, I would call, like, Baz a cunt, and he would be happy that I called him that, because that's Scotland. Yeah, so. yeah. So, but in this case, it's considered, like, he was he was sort of... Uh, crossing a line in in the opening with uh, Richard Speck. So Bill is the one who kind of convinces him that they should edit the transcript, which they get the new agent, Greg Smith, to do. 
and Greg Smith also as we Agent know, Smith by and, the way. <laughs> yeah, it's like Mr. Tench. Um <laughs> but he he ended up dropping the original cassette into the like inner office mail to go to the OPR. And they get it and open an actual investigation because now there's this discrepancy. Basically look like they were covering it up. I believe in professional circles that's called a real dick move, Bill. Yeah, it's it's not cool. And so one of the reasons Bill is hanging out in his car before going into work is because all this shit is going on. Yeah, he's going into work knowing fine well a shitstorm's probably a brewing in there. Right, and as soon as he walks in, it turns out that uh, his boss, Shepard, the chief, has asked for transcripts and copies of everything now. And also, he wants to see Bill at the end of the day, and he's like, oh, fuck. None of that sounds good. <laughs> and then, this is like where the show is just like, all right, murder nerds. Here... <laughs> Here's what you're watching for, where a, one of Bill's old cop buddies or FBI buddies, a guy named Don, comes in with a you know big file, and he's like, hey, I'm bringing you this cold case, because eventually it's going to find its way to you anyway. Yeah, that's right. And it's BTK. Yeah, and I got harder than the Dickens. Sure you did, because you're a sicko. And <laughs> like me and my wife were watching it and she's like, Who's BTK? And she turned around, already had the rope around my neck, the doll mask on in my cotton hand. <laughs> How long have you been just keeping that in arm's reach? It's like it's not what it looks like. It's not what it looks like. I was just goofing around. I was just cleaning it, it went off. Oh my god. <laughs> I assume you mean your penis. No. Oh. Ew. <laughs> Um, but, but it's kind of the, the Cliff's notes version of like, Hey, we think he's killed seven people. Here's this weird poem he left behind for a victim that he missed. Um, and that one of the murders is a probably because he doesn't claim it. Yeah. And there's a witness to that murder. And so Bill's like, all right, I mean, I guess this is just the shit we're going to be dealing with from now on. So <laughs> this is my life. Man. Thanks, Don. And he's like, yeah, hey, let me know how it goes. He's like, yeah, Don, I will. I'll let you know how it goes, how the, the hideous murders go. Thanks, Don. Next, Don. Get me a fucking coffee, Don. And fucking Don. So then he goes, uh, Bill uh, goes at the end of the day to meet with Shepard, the chief who says uh, that he's not in trouble, Bill's not in trouble, he's just retiring. And yeah. that there's this guy named Ted Gunn who's going to be taking over. Bill's like, really? Uh, so when do I meet him? And they're like, he's right this way. And, <laughs> and he's just hanging out in the conference room. And uh, he opens up the door, and it's Lex Luthor. Um <laughs> In a in a black suit with big headphones on because he's listening to uh, some of the the interviews. He's listening to Morrissey, <laughs> right? Girlfriend in a coma. I know, <laughs> I know, it's serious. Um, <laughs> and then Gun, Gun looks up and is like, "Huh? 
No, it's just uh, I was listening to some tapes. It's just a little more, you know, some Smiths at school. And uh, it's like he, he he sings about real things. I mean, I would like to go out tonight, but I haven't got a thing to wear. <laughs> right. Finally, somebody who's speaking the truth to me. Um, <laughs> Goddamn Morrissey. Yeah. Oh, and just has stayed a gym all his life. That's what's real. Oh yeah, he's he's he didn't go down the James James Woods angle either. Legendarily nice guy, Morrissey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in Scotland, if you call Morrissey a cunt, it doesn't mean the same thing as what I call Baz a cunt for. Yeah, yeah, that's like yeah, Morrissey's a cunt. Uh, yeah, nice boy. That's it. Yeah, it rubs off. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so Lex Luthor uh, is like, "Hey, um, <laughs> Shepard, fuck off! I need to talk to Bill here uh, alone." And then he's like, "Hey, so I've been listening to some recordings, and it's uh, this guy uh, from season one, what was in a cherry picker and killed a, a young girl." And uh, there's five minutes missing from the time that you're talking about her getting on a school bus to a full-blown confession. Um, so I've got to ask uh, one brief question. What the fuck? <laughs> and uh, Bill's like, well, uh, I don't know, sir. I, I guess, we, you know, it's unfortunate that we, we're missing that, that amount of time. And he's like, uh-huh. Um, so you lodged a complaint about Holden Ford, your partner. Uh, well, what's that about? And he's like, well, I, I did. I felt like that he was, you know, crossing the line and being impulsive in some of his interviews and some of his behavior. And he's like, uh-huh. So should we get rid of him? Is that what you're saying, Bill? Are you going to be a man <laughs> about it? real name? Yeah. <laughs> if that is your real name. Yeah. You're you going to stop hiding behind your little memos? What do you think, Bill? Should we fire him? Yeah, fucking Bill. Come on, Bill. And, uh, but then he's like, no, honestly, I mean, without him, it, it, the way he puts it is it would diminish the promise of our work. Yeah. And then gun, uh, the, the new boss is like, uh, huh. That's exactly what I was hoping you would say. <laughs> he's like, he's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Oh, that was the perfect answer, Bill. <laughs> turn around, turn around. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. <laughs> say it again. Say what to miss the promise of our <laughs> Sir, I don't know that this is completely appropriate. You gonna you gonna write another memo, Bill? God, oh, just wrote another. <laughs> <laughs> uh, You're really good at taking things out of recordings. Fucking edit this. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, then he asks if uh, he's like, "Hey, Holden is kind of a crazy person." But can can we harness his instincts, you know? And then he he's like, "Hey, do you know anything about horses, Bill?" And and, and Tinch is like, "Well, I know enough to lose at the track." And he's like, hey, "All right, that's a, that's a funny joke, boy. That's a funny joke." Yeah. And uh, but uh, Lex Luthor is like, "Shut your fucking mouth, Bill. Let me tell you about horses." He's like. We've got like these super fast horses, and to uh, you, you have a couple of choices with them. You can geld them and castrate them, and they'll calm down, but they're going to lose that little spark that makes them special. Or you put blinders on them, and just and that helps focus that raw energy. So, Bill, will you be my blinders? 
And he's like, uh, yes. <laughs> Question mark. And and then before he leaves, he's like, all right, that sounds great, Bill. Get the fuck out of my office. Oh, by the way, that OPR investigation, that's probably a real hassle for everybody involved. So we'll see if we can make that go away later. And Bill is like, all right, I don't know what the fuck just happened in there. <laughs> but he's heading back to the office and passes by car. And they're not really on speaking terms, as is anybody in the office because of all this. Like, hey, who sent this tape to the OPR? And... Bill had accused Wendy Carr, the psycholo- the psychologist of the team, uh, uh, of doing that. And um, anyway, so they're not chummy right now. They're yeah. They're not getting along right now. And Bill is passing her in the hallway, and they don't say a word until he says, well, Shepard's retiring. Shepard. Um, sorry, I just <laughs> started doing, uh, what's his name, Rex from Mass Effect 2. Shepherd. You totally fucking dead. <laughs> and, oh. and then uh and then he meets uh he says he met Gunn and he's like, Yeah, he says he sees our potential. And then he she's like, Alright, well we'll see. And Bill goes back in the office and he's like, Hey, has anyone heard anything from Holden, by the way? And they're like, nah, man, he's off probably doing something crazy. Uh, <laughs> you know, he's probably illegally interrogating a serial killer and having a panic attack right after it. Right. He's just chit-chatting with Ed Kemper over the holidays. <laughs> Swapping recipes for pecan pie. Right. Pecan pie. 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 <laughs> and then later, Bill, like, he's still at the office. Everybody else is pretty much left. He's, you know going through files and whatnot and gets a call from a hospital in California. They're like, Hey, will you accept the charges? He's like, uh, yeah, all right. <laughs> and then, uh, he hears was one of my favorite reactions. He, he hears, uh, Hey Bill, uh, it's me. And he just drops everything and goes, where the fuck have you been? <laughs> It's so good, man. He is he is pissed, and yeah, because he's 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 just talked him up. He's covering his back, and the new guy wants to speak to him, and he doesn't know where he is. He's had to lie. He's like, yeah, I gave him a couple of days off. He'll be back on Monday. Where is he? No one knows. Right? Yeah, I'm I'm assuming he'll be back. Who the fuck knows? Yeah, and so you cut from this fantastic reaction of where the fuck have you been to him on a plane? Yeah. And then we get to the uh, the hospital in California where the doctor explains that this was, in fact, not a heart attack, but a panic attack. And he says, look, I'm no psychologist, but if, if you're going to ask me, you need to learn to manage your stress. And here's some benzos uh, in case you are getting uh, or feel the onset of a panic attack and the Valium will, you know, help that crash, according to Lou Reed. And, <laughs> and Bill is just like, you son of a bitch, you called me all the way out here because you had a panic attack. The fuck are you doing out here in the first place? And he's like, oh, I kind of went to see Ed Kemper and he's like, God damn it. Just let's go. And anyway, so. Gun. We we cut to the interview between new guy Lex Luthor, Gun, 
uh, who is now the, the chief, talking to Wendy Carr about why she wanted to join the team. Yeah, because she's the thing that's not on the team. She's not an agent. Right. She's just good old-fashioned, you know, clinical psychologist or, or, or uh, theoretical psychologist, whatever the fuck she is. Yeah. And um, she's like, well, you know, they, they approach me. He's like, no, 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 don't give me the mechanics. Why do you want to do this? Mm-hmm. And it's basically her saying, because I can, I, I can help people. Like, this can have a direct effect on saving people. And Gunn is just like, mm-hmm. God, that was a good answer. <laughs> Torrent. <laughs> oh, just turn around. Don't look. Don't look at me. Tell me about why it's you want to join. It's the world is like. And <laughs> and then he's like, hey, let me ask you about Holden. And uh, she's like, am I holding? And he's like, no, Holden Ford. <laughs> such a bad joke <laughs> you can't that is for the listener sir you can't boo me that's such a fucking dad joke you should feel ashamed <laughs> I, 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 I'm a dad and I wouldn't use that as a fucking oh, well played though well played I feel no shame at all ever about anything <laughs> at this point point. and anyway uh, but Gunn is like hey so this Holden cat he likes to just be impulsive and you know what do you think? And she's like, eh, sometimes I think he builds a, a, a suspect to match his theory. And, you know, he is a little impulsive. He's a little brash. And uh, he's like, hey, what do you know about horses, Dr. Carr? Because <laughs> I need you to be my blinders. Oh, wait, wait one second. Right. He's used this lane already. Yeah. it's And we get a pretty quick turnaround on on this joke but I, I like it and uh but so we leave that meeting to go to bill and holden uh going through the hospital as as holden's being discharged and he has to stop to breathe like he's still not totally cool no he's he's, he's fucking he his nerves have been shattered boy <laughs> yes and bill gives him a good old-fashioned 1950s you need to get your shit together. <laughs> He's two seconds away from like doing one of those dramatic slaps, like forward right. and backward. Yeah, and this goes like from there, like and Holden, sure enough, is like, "All right, I'm following you." And then they get on the plane, and Bill is like, "Look, we got a new guy uh, in charge now, <laughs> and here's the deal: when we do things from now on, we're doing it my way." You can't start fucking around and visiting Ed Kemper on the side, and this panic attack shit better stop right now. And it's like the greatest conversation ever. Like you know what I mean? It's like you can't just be going off and visiting a coed killer whenever you want. Yeah, and and he ends it with like a not even a I want a response. It's not if you understand what I'm telling you, which he yeah. does, and it's like that's right, motherfucker, Bill in the house. And he takes him, uh, takes uh, Holden all the way home, like drops him off, has given him, brought some of his own clothes for him to wear. And as they're pulling up to the Essex house, which is this kind of uh, apartment efficiency place where uh, 
where Holden is living since breaking up with his girlfriend, um, who was kind of cheating on him, maybe, probably. Yeah. And anyway, um, pulls up in front of this joint and he says, look, uh, if you need anything and Holden's like, look, I'm going to be fine. Everything's cool. And he gets out of the car. Holden gets out of the car and Bill just goes, you're welcome. Yeah. And it's like, come on, man. Like Holden is a very good character, but he's just such a little prick sometimes that you're just like, come on, man. Like yeah. Bill, Bill is old school for sure. And maybe you two wouldn't be the best of friends outside of this arrangement, but don't be an asshole to the guy that just flew to pick you up from the, the yeah, giggle he's had, factory. He's had your back here. Yeah. Right. And was like, I covered for you. You need to be there Monday morning. When you show up to work Monday, have your shit together. Like take the weekend and do what you got to do. And so what he has to do is he goes to his apartment. Uh, Holden does pops a Valium, takes a shower for the ladies and, <laughs> and then just falls immediately into bed in a sleep. It's been a long day. Yeah. So then we go to that Monday morning where Holden shows up to meet uh, Chief Gunn. And Gunn is like, hey, you ever been to the executive dining room? And he's like, <laughs> no, I haven't. Uh, Chief Gunn, he's like, hey, call me Ted. And he's like, okay, no, I haven't, Ted. And he's like, all right, well, they make a good omelet. Come with me. And so they're going to go off to have their meeting. Meanwhile, Bill has shown up and, and sees to... Holden's credit that he's already there. Like his briefcase is on his desk and in, uh, Bill's office, he has, he has put the clothes bag that Bill brought for him along yep. with the shirt, which seems to have been cleaned and laundered and a check for $350. One presumes for the plane ticket. Yeah. And it's a nice gesture, but it's also like, that's a very Holden way to deal with this instead of just saying, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, he's he's not he's not quite admitted guilt, but at the same time, he's acknowledged that this guy has done something for him without necessarily at the same time apologizing for it. But um, you know, that's as, probably as close to an apology as you're ever going to get from Ford. Yeah, I agree. And so, when Bill then talks to Carr, he like ducks into her office and she's kind of cold with him at first. And he's like, look, I, you know, we need to clear the air. Like you're talking about a fresh start with this new guy gun. Let's bury the hatchet. And, uh, she, <laughs> there's a nice moment where, uh, Anna Torv as Wendy Carr says, apology accepted. And he's like, yeah, <laughs> by the way, I apologize for the record. Like, you got ahead of me on that one, but that's where we were headed. And all right. Um, <laughs> so then he asked her like, Hey, how long has Holden been up there with gun? And she says, uh, about 10 minutes. And he, he just goes, well, fingers crossed. Mm-hmm. And then we cut to gun, absolutely filleting Holden Ford at breakfast. Talking oh, yeah. about he's, how he has the hardest man crush ever. This is his golden ticket, boy. He is just like, you're a genius. How on earth could I be fit to breathe the same air as you? Uh, but but ultimately, he's like, look, we're going to make the behavioral science unit the first call. 
Like when when we're dealing with a you know a gruesome kind of situation or or something that is clearly a serial killer or something like that, you guys are going to get involved in the field before an invitation comes. Like we're going to insert you into that situation, but we need a high profile win, and so you just be on the ready and be on the lookout for that situation that's going to put us in a place where we can show our value to the FBI. And he he says, ultimately I want the rest of the FBI to look at us and say, if we don't get on board now, we're going to look like fools. Mm-hmm. And so he is like a hundred percent behavioral science. And he's like, you're going to have a direct line to me. But the one condition is don't you ever, ever put me in a situation like you did with Shepard where we get blindsided by something. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you got it, Ted. Yeah, and- <laughs> Every time he's saying it, so, what I love about the actor that plays the, the whole character is that it's always babysits at first when he is doing something and then the cockiness gets the better of him. Yeah. Yeah. He cannot... He, he can't help himself. Right. Because he's, he's a narcissist, you know? Yeah. He, he has some of the same traits as the people he's going after. And, and one of those is just this unbelievable confidence in himself that he is always right. And I don't, I don't think at times he understands how frustrating and annoying that trait is to anyone around him. Oh, right. Because well, you see, he's a complete narcissist. So there, he's, I think one person at least knows, and we are coming to that in a moment. It's one of the greatest things ever. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Anyway, we're we're getting there. So Wendy is going over the stats with uh, will on William Hans, the uh, the first black serial killer that they're going to interview. Well, yeah, because Gun Gun says to Thingamajig as well. Gun says if you you know if you could interview one killer, who would it be? And he's like that, yeah, Manson, but we could never get him. He's like, I can get Manson. Right, right. <laughs> I can get you a Manson tomorrow. I can get a Manson right now. I, you, you don't think I can get you a Manson? I can get Manson. Hey, look at me. Do I look like a guy who can't get you Charlie fucking Manson? Yeah, I can't get you tickets to Manson. I can get you tickets to Manson. Question is, <laughs> are you the kind of man willing to pay for tickets to Manson? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's my side you know about- business. <laughs> what do you know about horses holding yeah holding how much do you know about geldings um yeah so Holden busts in and it's just like yeah yeah yeah, fuck all this noise um yeah, yeah like gun was impressed he's on our side and how he's about get his motherfucking manson yo right like i got us manson bitches and everyone else is like well you know he never really killed anybody and yeah, they yeah. do what like I do every time someone like mentions Charles Manson as like one of the notorious serial killers and what I he never actually killed anyone. Yeah, that he was prosecuted for. That's not to diminish the clearly vile things the guy did, but it was not his hands that did it. Yeah, no, I mean you're right, and it. I mean he's and and like like you said, they're they're having that reaction of like. He, you know, I think it's Greg Smith. Agent Smith is like, (laughs) Mr. Ford. We can't go chasing everyone who's infamous. Yeah. And 
you know, he's like, what the fuck are you guys talking? It's Manson, you know? And they're just like, fuck a bunch of Manson. (laughs) And then, uh, Holden's like, you know what? All right. You want to do this? You want to do this, Greg? It's time to clear the air around here. And he goes through the room and is like, you know what? I've been thinking about who dropped a dime on us. It wasn't me because I didn't give a shit. I was ready to let that tape go as is. Bill didn't do it because he was willing to destroy the tape. Yeah. He was like, Wendy didn't do it. And it frankly offended me that Bill thought she might have been able to do it. Yeah. He's like, so that only leaves one other little prick in this room. <laughs> you know, yeah, one plus two plus two plus one. You know what I mean? That's, yeah. It- <laughs> so what do you have to say about it, Greg? Greg takes his mask off and reveals that he was actually the old lighthousekeeper from the beginning of the episode. <laughs> right. Well, he's the only, like, Holden is just immediately like, I have, like, you know, Sherlock Holmes my way through this. Oh, yeah, yeah, like, remember, right, I might have had a panic attack here, but remember, I'm a fucking investigator with the FBI. Right. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so I know the only person in this room who would have done it is Greg. What say you, Greg? And he's just like, uh, well, you know, I thought it was the right thing. And everybody's just like, fucking fuck, Greg. Greg. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like, just as everyone is getting their heads around the idea of like, hey, you need to go through proper channels if you've got a problem, Greg. And <laughs> like laying into him and then Gunn walks in the room and is like, uh, yeah. is anything going on in here? Is somebody getting accused of something or something? And <laughs> he's like, I'll shut your mouth. How can you say? He's like, what's the say. <laughs> the, the best moment in the, in the whole show for me is when he walks in and he goes, Hey, you must be agent Smith. And, yeah. and Greg is like, yeah. And he goes, Hmm. And then just <laughs> like gives Greg a fuck you too. Like, and I don't know if it's necessarily inspired by like I suspect he's the one who sent the tape, or if I it's, think just... it's just that he's like he isn't the two guys that can be the blinders for Holden. He's the he's the he's the paper guy. He's like, right, his intrinsic value is nothing in the grand scheme of what he wants to do. He is. He really. He really. He's really dismissive, and it's kind of amazing. Yeah, it's just like, man, what a piece of shit Greg is, huh? <laughs> all right. So, how long is it going to take for you to put all this together and like have a like a workable plan for us to move forward into the field? And she's like, I don't know, a couple of years. He's like, nope, 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 wrong. <laughs> and they're like, Jesus, hang on, you okay, Ted? Uh, and uh, he's like, Look, you're going to get a bunch of new resources. How's that sound? And Bill is like. I got this one, everyone. Sounds crowded. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so they take him, uh, like, Gunn is like, that's right, Bill. Thanks for knocking that one home for me. Uh, I got this whole new space for you. I got a, lines coming in for this giant CPU to crunch your data, and we're going to have a break room over there. And she's and Wendy is like in a bathroom and he's like, fine bathroom. Sounds good. <laughs> Whatever you need, lady. I don't want to hear about your bits. 
and, and we'll put a bathroom wherever you want, one every five feet if that shuts you up about whatever you're putting on, padding or shielding or inserting. I don't want to know any of it. It's 1980. Well, I don't care. Um, and then uh, they're like, well, you know, this is all great news. And he, in fact, told it is even like, this is just great, Ted. It's, That's right. <laughs> it's very funny. And um, then Bill immediately goes to his office and grabs all his shit and is like, hey, I'm going to be uh, the first to move out of here if we're going to get all this new space. So fuck you guys, especially you, Greg. <laughs> Greg, fucking Greg. And um, like Wendy is like, oh, let the healing begin, huh? Look at these assholes. And so nobody's having a good time. And Holden asks Wendy out for a drink, essentially. And she's like, I don't think so. And he's like, no, no, no. I need to ask your advice about something. And and she's like, fine, but you're buying. I got a lot of, I don't want to spend my night with crazy Holden. Thanks. <laughs> and Or Greg. Or Greg. But the first thing they do is like, Holden is like, hey, I'm sorry to put you in that position earlier, but, you know, it's good to know what his moral limits are so that we can anticipate that in the future. And she's like, you sound like a crazy person when you talk like that. <laughs> And but then Holden tells her about the panic attack, and she's like, "Well, what what preceded this?" And then he tells her about the hug from Kemper. And yeah, which to be honest, if you were going to have a legitimate reason to have a panic attack, that might be the most that that's I would argue that that's the right response to have. But yeah, yeah. Well, even she is like, "You got a hug from Ed Kemper," <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah, it was fucked up." And Anyway, and she basically says, like, you need you, you need to manage your stress. You can exercise. He's like, yeah, yeah, exercise. I can run. And she's like, yeah, 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 but you you need to calm the fuck down. Like, you're, you know, and, and the, she says, look, the way that we empathize with these killers is sort of giving part of ourselves up, and you have to be careful with that shit. And especially in, in light of what's just happened, you if you need someone to talk to, let me know but you need to be on this. Mm. And she, he's like, that's totally cool. Uh, I appreciate it. Meanwhile, Holden is not paying attention to the fact that Wendy is making sexy eyes at the bartender this whole time. Yeah. I totally forgot. Cause I didn't watch the season again before coming to this. I forgot she was a lesbian. So I was like, what? The, what? Right, she broke up. Like, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, she broke up with the the stuffy uh, professor. Yes, so she could take the job in in Quantico. The stuffy professor who looked down upon the stuff she was doing. Yeah, was like this is really beneath you. And anyway, so she's uh she's making eyes at the bartender, and then we cut over to uh, a function uh, in the office at work for Shepard, who is uh, of course retiring. And it's a real like, hey, you know, we're all gathered around. We're going to give you this plaque. Uh, we're going to say a few nice words about it. And there's a conversation happening in the background between Bill and Holden about how Holden doesn't think he looks happy. Yeah. And they're like, whatever, man. Just give the guy a break. He's retiring. Yeah. Get, let him. He's retiring. Let's just let him go and he'll be fine. Right. Don't for once. Don't make this about you. Please, <laughs> and Holden doesn't hear that. No, Holden not. He was like, "Make that about me." That's a great idea. Yes, 
I wasn't gonna, but... So then there's, in addition to this little event at work, later that night, there's a big fancy party where uh, we find Wendy Carr showing up. And immediately, as soon as she walks in the door, Bill is there just smoking and having a scotch. And he's like, <laughs> hey, th- these things suck. If uh, if you just want to hang out and drink over here for a little bit with me, you're welcome to. And she's like, you know what? That sounds okay. Mm. And so... Um, they they're talking and she is like hey i need to tell you something um chief gun asked me to kind of babysit holden and bill kind of laughs and he's like yeah he asked me the same thing and this guy's pretty good so we need to keep an eye on him and it's a nice little moment of like hey we're we're on the same page here and we're looking out for each other and yeah. and he tells her like, hey, by the way, if you see any guys loosening their ties around you, get out. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, ni- a nice a nice little bit. Yeah, everyone's been one of those parties, well. Yeah, and then uh, Bill kind of gets behind the mic and gives a toast about Shepard, uh, and it's a real dad joke kind of toast. Oh, where he's yeah, like, it's all about fishing and nonsense. You're going to be chasing guys with names like Trout and Pike. And, uh, but they give him like this real nice fishing reel or something as a, yeah. a retirement gift. And so he, like, his jokes are equally as bad. He's like, Oh, I'll tell you right now, if I go missing for a few days, honey, don't phone these guys to come and find me. I'll be catching some fish. <laughs> and everyone's like, <laughs> Right. And so he sits down and everybody's about to go about their business. But Holden sees a moment where he's not in the spotlight and has to seize it. <laughs> it's the wrong time to do it, Holden. Yeah. It's the wrong time. <laughs> and he gives this speech of like, like I don't, I've only had the pleasure of working with you three of your 27 years. And I just want to say, like, you, when when it was tough to do so, you really stood up for us and yada, yada, yada. And, and Shepard, your vision and all the rest. Yeah. And Shepard just gets up and walks out. It's amazing. <laughs> right. And so he, he takes off. And then after it's over, Holden follows Shepard outside. Which Fi- is not the right thing to do. Is it or is it the best thing? <laughs> uh, I think I think if you if you want to if you want to acknowledge that this guy walked out while you were congratulating him and he didn't stick around for that, maybe this guy doesn't want you to speak to him. Right. Um but Holden doesn't pick up on that because he's not a very good psychologist, apparently. No, uh, or human. <laughs> or or person, yeah. And he he follows him out and he's like, hey, uh, you're sneaking out of your own party. And, uh, you know, I just can't help but feel. And this is the point where Shepard launches into it. And is yeah. like, oh, please. I just can't <laughs> wait to hear how Holden Ford feels about something. <laughs> And he's like, what? And he goes, you know what? I worked in this bureau for 27 years. I survived Hoover. I survived like all this shit. And now I leave and there's a stain with your name all over everything I ever did. And he's like, what the fuck is going on? And he's like, <laughs> he's like, are you this stupid and naive? Or are you just so blinded by your own vanity that you can't see? Like I took the bullet for that fuck up with the tape. Like my, I didn't retire because I wanted to retire. 
I did it so that someone could take the fall. Yeah. And I'm, I've been pushed out. Yeah. And Holden starts like hyperventilating and staggering off. And Shepard goes, what? You really are a pussy. Yeah. <laughs> and so Holden just kind of like literally kind of crawls away and just has uh, like another panic attack. Yeah. Reaches Wa- for the volume pops a couple. Yeah. And Bill is like walking, you know, his old boss's wife. I was like, Hey, look who I looks like you lost somebody in there. And that kind of thing. <laughs> and immediately Shepard is like, yep, guess I did. Well, don't worry. I know I didn't see you holding. He wasn't acting like a bitch or anything. It's fine. <laughs> got, got one last dig in. I had that guy for fucking lunch. I mean, it, it's not worth throwing my career away, but that felt all right. <laughs> and and there endeth episode one of season two of Mindhunter. Yeah. It's, it's pretty fucking amazing. It's pretty good. And it's going to get better because episode two uh, is coming right up uh, with a cameo by Son Ooh. of Sam. Ooh. Tell me the dirtiest things, Bob. Oh, the filthiest. <laughs> Episode two uh, begins with uh, our old pal BTK, um, and he's uh, he's in Dutch with the misses as it happens. Yeah, it turns out she, whatever excuse and explanation he managed to give her, she's not buying it. No, yeah, definitely not. Um, yeah, she like gives him that that terse kiss on the forehead. And, like, here's some blankets for the couch. Oh, by the way, here's a couple of books for you uh, to to fall asleep (laughs) with. Which, the top one reads, Therapeutic Approaches to Sexual Deviance. That's that's an enjoyable read. I'll tell Uh, you right now. If you've got a copy of Therapeutic Approaches to Sexual Deviance on your shelf, there are some questions that need to be asked. (laughs) Yeah. It's not a coffee top book, you know what I mean? You don't have that at your coffee table. That's a bad move. You know, that said, I when I was in college, I rented a house. And in the house, I found a book called Origenitalism. Was Origenitalism? Yes, that is all about uh, the pleasing of people uh, with mouths on genitals, both male and oh. female. Oh, interesting. Like, yeah, written in like 1965 or some shit. And, uh, and I've held on to that book all these years. I've never really read through the whole thing, but I like having that on the shelf. <laughs> Pervert, you see, yeah? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, just when someone is like, what is origenitalism? And I'm like, it's better if I show you. hi oh hey that's assault. Um, so, Bill... Uh, has has flown out to meet Bernie, who is the head of the BTK k- case in Kansas. Mm-hmm. And along the way, um, I'm skipping over some stuff where like Bernie is just giving stats on the murders and whatnot. Yeah, um, which is really fascinating. Don't get me wrong, but it's also like eh, that's why you're watching the show. We're not going to give. All right, fine. Here's everything. No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> it's everything Bernie tells him about BTK. Uh, but he takes them to the first crime scene, which is the Otero house, which is notable. Which is the bad one. Right. Well, it's in a number of ways, but it, it's the one where it seems like 
BTK was surprised that he yeah. did not account for the number of people who were who were home, but nonetheless managed to, you know, master the situation in such a way that he ends up, you know, subduing and killing the entire family, often in front of each other. Yeah, that like when they start going into detail about where each of them must have been and what they most likely saw, that's the, the start. I mean, along with the crimes, but here not by that's the bit that always gets me. Is yeah. you know, being being tied and helpless and forced to watch someone murder your loved ones whilst being powerless to death and then knowing that you're next. Yes. And in the detail that sticks with me about this episode, which I've seen a couple of times now. Mm-hmm. Um, is the the shirt over the head because yeah. the the father initially tore the plastic covering his head, and so more plastic was put over him than a shirt, so that he couldn't claw through both the cloth and the plastic. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's just such a horrifying detail that is, you know, too true to be made up kind of yeah. thing. And oh, it's just the worst. And you know, the kids would have seen their parents being killed. And I mean, and then they go into the basement, which is like the scene of the real, like the target who was bound to this pole. And they're like, well, this is the only place we found semen. So this is, you know, the, the this was the, the woman that he wanted uh, to, to murder most. This was the object of his fantasy. Yeah. And I mean, it's just the worst. Like BTK is just the, the one of the, the most, repulsive killers because of what he made the family go through like it's, and all of that though it's the matter of fact the way that he describes the crimes that he committed yeah i mean it, it, it doesn't really bother bother him at all uh, oh no he's very non-plus it's everything's kind of read out almost like ikea fucking building furniture instructions so the way you kill people is horrendous yeah it's uh it's the worst so i mean later at a bar uh bill and and this dude bernie are talking about just the impact of the btk killer on the community as as a whole he's like look you know some of the people who were originally working the case left town because it was terrible like when they when they first go around the otero house he shows them the cut phone line he's like it's five years later and women are still checking yeah checking to make sure their phone lines aren't cut and um He's like, you know, the only real witnesses are this dude uh, who is with the one that's kind of a maybe in terms of BTK. We're not sure if if he he hasn't claimed her, but uh, they're the Otero kids who came in and found all the bodies. And, uh. and he's like, but their like relatives have taken them away and just refuse to let them talk about the murders at all. So truly the only witness we have is this dude who took three bullets to the face when he and his girlfriend were uh, tied up and whatnot. And, you know, the, the girlfriend died. He survived by running away. But again, we're not sure this is BTK, but it kind of smells like it. Yeah. If it looks like, smells like, and feels like BTK, but I'm just going to say it's BTK. Right. It's, it's B-O-T-K. Oh, sorry. And and so they uh. <laughs> fit boot twice by the co-host. That's never good. 
And so then they meet Kevin, who is who is the other witness. He's the the living witness, and who gets in the back of this truck that Bernie has, and makes them both look forward, and makes even makes Bernie like move the rearview mirror so that Kevin can't be seen because mm-hmm. clearly it's partly he's trying to hide his identity, and also he got shot in the face three fucking times, and, three times, and lived. Yeah, and. So Kevin uh, gets in and he says, um, you know, when this guy was kind of busted into our place, the way he kind of got in was saying that he was a wanted man. He was wanted for some crime in California and that he just needed some some shit to pawn and that we thought this was a robbery. And Bill's like, well, you know, did he force you to tie Catherine up and he's like he didn't really force me he just made it sound like this was the reasonable thing to do yeah. like like if I if you tie her up and then I'm gonna tie you up then I'm gonna take some stuff and then I'm gonna leave and that he you know he says he was actually kind of gentle in his way which is creepy boy I'm not gonna lie it's just a little bit creepy yeah and he's like he even like when he when he was tying me up and I was bound he even put a pillow under my head and then he takes Kathy to another room and he's like, then I heard a lot of little cries and then I heard nothing. And then a radio came on in the room and the, the killer comes back in and starts strangling Kevin and he's kicking and twisting and BTK pulls out a gun and they're wrestling over the gun. And he's like, I had it in his stomach and I pulled the trigger, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't shoot him. And Bill's like, yeah, he had the safety on. There's no way you could have shot him. And by the time you got the safety off, he was wrestling with it anyway. Yeah, Like there was nothing you could have done here. And the only thing that you could have done is what you did, which is you played possum. Like BTK ends up shooting him in the head twice. And he plays possum. And when BTK then leaves him, he gets up and he runs. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's terrible, a horrible, horrible story. And Bill's like, so did he have an erection at any, during any of this? <laughs> and Kevin's like, I don't know. And then the, the one detail that comes up though, is that Kevin says, well, he wore this kind of m- military looking silver watch. Yeah. And then he, Bill shows him a picture of the Otero husband and he's like, did it look like this? He's like, yeah, it looked exactly like that. And and he's like, Oh my God, was it BTK? Is that what, do we know that for sure? Because if that's true, he knows my face Mm -hmm. and I can't go anywhere. I can't go out every, every time I turn around, I think it's this guy who's coming to finish the job. And so then he just runs off. Kevin does into the night and is depressing. Um, which is, I mean, like it, that character has no, like, there's no hope for that character. Like even Bill no. is like, I don't necessarily blame him for being that freaked out. You know, that's, that is a lot of shit to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, I, yeah. <laughs> I think once again, that's on some level, I quite like the show does that. You know what I mean? There's, there are certain characters you're going to meet on this show that are the, 
byproduct and effect of horrible things that happen and how it scars them for the rest of their life. So yeah, it, yeah, it's rough. Ooh. And so Bill uh, takes a uh, flight home, gets back and he finds uh, when he's home that the back door is ajar. Mm-hmm. Just and, a tad. Yeah, just a little bit, but he locks the door and then goes to look for Brian, who is not in his bed. Then he opens the bedroom door and there's Brian in bed with Nancy and he wakes them up and they're like, Jesus Christ, what is going on? He's like, nothing, nothing. I'm sorry. I was, I didn't see Brian. Uh, I'll be in bed in a minute. And then he just goes to the living room to have some bourbon and smoke like the giant cut of porterhouse of a person that he is. <laughs> I believe they call that a, an aperitif bowl. Yeah, he's just like, well, this is what I do. It's after hours. Time for a, <laughs> pack, a pack and a half of smokes and the better part of this bottle of bourbon. <laughs> so it just sounds great. So uh, Holden shows up in Bill's office the next day and immediately is like, oh, my God, is that BTK on your board? And so they're kind of trading some theories. And what they conclude is the Otero case, like it was his first time. But given the nature of how quickly he was able to kind of handle a situation that went bad on him, they were like, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's his first time. He made a lot of mistakes. But he was also incredibly prepared. Yeah. The fact is he made some mistakes, but continued to carry through with it and appears to not have let it face him at all. Right. And that also he's modeling some of his behavior after other killers, like with the writing to the papers. And uh, he also suggests his own nicknames like the BTK Strangler or like the Wichita Strangler, stuff like that. And then they compare like, oh, this is the symbol he's using for himself. And Bill is like, well, that's like Son of Sam. Mm -hmm. And they're like, we should go talk to Son of Sam. And I was like, yes, yes, you should. Uh Uh-huh. And so they go to talk to Wendy Carr about it. And she's like, is this what we do now? Do we just drop everything (laughs) to go talk to a serial killer because maybe he helps solve an active case? And Bill's like, like, yes, yes, this is what you should do. (laughs) Yeah, this is what we're doing now. And so she's not thrilled about it, but uh, she's like, look, let's meet and and have a drink and I need to talk to you. So they go to the same bar where Holden had taken Wendy earlier and he's like, how did you find out about this place? And, and she's like, well, actually Holden brought me here. And he's like, how did he find out about this place? <laughs> doesn't seem like his kind of joint. And they talk about his panic attacks and they get on the same page with all that stuff. And they're worried that he can't do, or Wendy in particular is worried that he's going to have a panic attack in the middle of an interview. And Bill's like, I mean, maybe, but he seems okay. And she tells him like, you're going to take the lead on Berkowitz, the son of Sam. And also she keeps making eyes at this bartender. Well, she she gives him the, the telltale signs of everything to look out for. Very similar to what she'd said to Holden as well. About, you know, if he starts to do this, then you need to take over and you need to do this, et cetera, et cetera. And he's like, yeah, 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 whatever. But while he's speaking back to her, that's where she's like, at last my love is Right. And so she goes over to get a drink and the bartender is uh, kind of shooting down like a, a, a 
you know, probably a uh, young uh, cadet for Quantico who is hitting on her. And she's like, did your friends put you up to this? Because I don't know if they told you, but I play for the other team. Mm-hmm. And uh, Wendy Carr overhears this and is like, oh, is that right? Sexy bartender. <laughs> Oh, boat, boat. Chica, chica. <laughs> Sounds like everything's coming up windy. <laughs> and and so the sexy bartender comes over and, and she's like, does that work? You know, what you told that guy. And the bartender's like, you know, people see what they want to see. And th- there's a little bit of flirty back and forth. Then uh, Wendy Carr takes her wine and is like, I'll talk to you later. <laughs> and... <laughs> So then uh, Bill and Holden are on their way to uh, to the prison for the Son of Sam interview. And on the way there, they're kind of debating how random his attacks were. Like, it, was he just going after the women? Or was it that because women are usually in the passenger seat and it was more a matter of convenience that he was shooting the women more than the men? And... Uh, so they're, you know, kind of taking different positions on that where, I, you know, I would say Holden seemed to indicate he thought it was a bit more random in nature. Yeah. And. Well, that's the thing as well, because like uh, Wendy had said that, you know, he doesn't necessarily fit the profile of what they're looking for either. Because like his body count in terms of what he did, he was more like, not a spree killer, but in, in that realm as well. So she doesn't understand the merit of this, but these guys are like, listen, if we crack this, you know, maybe there's something that comes off the back of it. So now they are trying to dissect or get on the same page an argument that they can go in with uh, very much in the, the throng of, by the way, you know, this is, Holden's going to be taking the back seat in this interview where he would generally be the aggressor. Right. And so Bill is, you know, they're finally interviewing Son of Sam, uh, who looks a crazy amount like Berkowitz. It's, yeah, the cat, what's it? We spoke about this off air. Whoever it is that's doing their casting and like finding these people to play these serial killers needs a fucking Emmy because they, they are spot on. They are creepily spot on. And the mannerisms as well, from the ones that you've heard audio recordings from, their mannerisms are spot on as well. It's, it's kind of daunting. It's surreal to see on the TV. Yeah, it, it's really good. And so Bill is starting to poke at him a little bit. He's like, you know, we've got a guy who uh, idolizes you apparently because, look, 100 years from now, people are still going to be talking about the son of Sam. Like, yeah. nobody that we've talked to does what you do, which is you held the city in terror. You know, like, you're you're a legend. And he he says, uh, the, this guy who idolizes you, uh, he even has a signature kind of like yours. And there's a funny line where Berkowitz is looking at the B and the BTK and is like, are those boobs? Yeah. <laughs> I thought, I got a laugh out of that. And... Bill says, like, why did you use Son of Sam? And Berkwood says, well, they were calling me the 44 killer. And they said it was because it was like my my penis was my gun. And mm-hmm. and I'm not a sex killer. I'm not like, let me get the record straight. I'm not <laughs> I'm not a sex pervert or anything. Yep. And that's where Holden jumps in. And he's like, tell me about the, the, the voices. Like, when did you when did you first become aware of demons like, you know, the exorcist and. Uh, things like that. And there's a great line where 
uh, Berkowitz brings up the exorcist and Holden is like, you saw the exorcist. And he goes, everyone saw the exorcist. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's pretty fun. But yeah, like it turns out that he was, you know, it was sort of the cultural zeitgeist. It was that he was reading books, uh, about demons and stuff like that. And then he's like, and that's when, you know, my neighbor, Sam's dog started talking to me and the voices, uh, were coming from the dog and he just kept saying, I I need blood. I need blood. And, uh, and he's like, and then Holden's like, okay, well, what about the writing on the walls? He was like, well, sometimes I could get the voices to, to stop if I were writing them. And he's like, so the voices were coming from inside the wall. And he's like, yeah. And he goes, well, I thought they were coming from the dog. They're coming from both places. Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, yeah, you know, I mean, you know how it goes with demons and whatnot. (laughs) You have voices, man. You know, the voices. Yeah, and he's like, you know, I just, I, I'm real interested to read the books that are being written about you. And there are two of them, right? One from your neighbor, and one is a guy that you sold your life rights to. And Berkowitz is like, uh, yeah, that's a legal dispute right now where uh, I can't really talk about that too much. And he's like, yeah, you know, but I kind of, I got to ask you something. Like, this is all a crock, right? Yeah, <laughs> I love this bit when it goes in because uh, you've got him saying that and his partner's kind of looking at him going, uh-uh, <laughs> where are we going to go from here? And what, what I love about it is, like, Berkowitz gets this little kind of wry smile on the side of his face. It's like, they're on to me. <laughs> yeah, well, and he, he says, like, they all they all bought it, too. Like, all the your lawyers and the shrinks. And that's where Berkowitz is like, oh, especially the shrinks. Yeah. And then they actually start talking about the murders. Because uh, he's like, yeah, yeah, that was all bullshit. He was like, you know, they were like, well, why, you know, why did you hunt when you hunted? Was that about the moon or something? He's like, no, I hunted every night. He was like, it's just a question of finding the right girl at the right time in the right place. Mm-hmm. And the other things they learn are like, he never took souvenirs the way that, that some do. And then they get to, um, well, what about the crime scenes? Did you ever go back? And he was like, Oh yeah, all the time. And they're like, well, why did you do that? And he was like, well, so I could relive every detail. And they, they're like, well, did you jerk off? He was like, well, not there. But, but like I would masturbate at home after visiting the sites, but he was like, but I, it wasn't about the violence of it. And he was like, it's important that you understand. I, I, I'm not like that. Like I don't equate sex and violence and they're just like, right, man. Like (laughs) me thinks the lady doth protest too much. Um, the more you keep saying that, the more I'm thinking that maybe it's true. Yeah, and it, but he does say like whoever your Kansas guy is, he is definitely going back to the to, to the crime scenes. Mm-hmm. He's like you can't help it; that's just what you do. And so then we leave that scene to, to kind of do the the after show on it, where it's at the office and they're talking about it's like Wendy Carr and and Bill and uh, Holden, and they're talking about how Berkowitz's narcissism wouldn't let him be called crazy. That was like, as soon as you kind of imply that being crazy just makes his murders meaningless. He's like, no, 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 no. Uh, no, I wasn't crazy at all. (laughs) And they're like, so he's a killer, but he's also aware 
of the media and and its view of him. Mm-hmm. And then uh, after the you know the meeting about Berkowitz after the the come down, Wendy asks Bill like, "Hey, how did Holden do? Did he like freak out? Did he go cray cray on us?" And he's like, "You gonna honestly? I think he's back. He's you know." He, he did a great job. You heard the tapes. He he did fine. Mm-hmm. And so Carr's a little cautious still, but, you know, Bill thinks everything's A-OK. So he heads home. And they're interrupted, he and Nancy, by a cop who shows up, who uh, is one of the guys from um, uh, Studio 60 on Sunset. And I shouldn't know that. <laughs> and so... <laughs> Nobody should know that. Uh, But the house, uh, it turns out that Nancy is representing for a sale. She's a real estate agent. And the cop shows up to be like, "Uh, this is a crime scene. You you can't go near there. This is your doctor later. This body was found in the garage. It was. That it smelled the lamb. (laughs) I'm afraid I can't talk about that right now. Dr. Lecter is still an active crime scene. You, sh- <laughs> you should know that better than anyone. And then so the cop comes in and they're like, Hey man, how, it looks like you've had a rough night. I was just notifying the next of kin. It's always really, hard. <laughs> when you were sitting beside them, did you say, Clessa? <laughs> I just heard them crying. They were crying so loud, so loud. I myself could not. <laughs> so <laughs> it's the best show ever. So they, after he's like, you know, I was no find the next can. They're like, they're like, well, what do you need from us? And he he asks them basically, like, hey, was there a key available? And they're like, yeah, we have one in the lockbox, and the the lockbox code is just the street address, which isn't terribly secure, but. You know, I'm the only one who knows it's there. Bill was the groundskeeper, and he's like, "Look, I haven't been by that fucking place. I wish I had the time to go mow the yard for Nancy." Um, but uh, the cops like, "Yeah, that's fine." And Nancy leaves for a second to get the contact information for the uh, the owner, the original owner. And while uh, uh, while she's gone. The cop is like, hey, can I get some of her shoes? Uh, we need to check them against the crime scene. And uh, Bill's like, yeah, yeah, I'll drop some off tomorrow. No no biggie. And uh, so they kind of see our, for inexplicably, our Silence of the Lambs cop. Um, yeah. <laughs> out. I'll just see you with the shoes tomorrow. I appreciate it. Special Agent Tinch. And... So silly. And then um, after they close the door, Nancy is like, you know, these things just don't happen in our neighborhood. And Bill's like, happens everywhere, Nancy. Credits. So good. So uh, I because I know, Duncan, I know where everything's headed. I know what what happens. But I'm curious to, to hear what you think. Uh, is coming around the corner, and I will not confirm or deny. I'm... Well, so so there are certain things that I knew about this season before the show started. 
So, like, when they announced they were doing a season two and they announced what time frame it would be in, they announced that BTK would be covered in some fashion. Uh, they also said that Son of Sam would make an appearance. They said that Charles Manson would make an appearance. But the throng of the series would be looking at the um, Atlanta child murders which is something that hugely fascinates me because there is a podcast called Atlanta Monster, which you should totally check out if you've never checked that out before, which does a detailed investigation into the Atlanta child murders and kidnappings and disappearances. Um, so if that's what they're pivoting to, I am looking forward to that. But what I love about these opening two episodes is we're back in the ground, you know, we're, we're, we're not missing a beat here. Um, we're giving the audience what they kind of want. We're, you know, we're, we're progressing the story. Things look like they may be going a good way in terms of the FBI kind of backing up now what they are trying to do or giving them a bit of uh, credo towards what they're doing. But at the same time, you still have a very unstable player who they are putting all their pressure on to deliver um, in a world where the worst things imaginable done by one human to another is just a conversation away. So, yeah, I I, I genuinely fucking love this show. Um, and, yeah, so I, 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 the first two episodes, strong um, from the Rotten Tomato ratings I've been seeing for the series as a whole, I can only imagine that things are going to get a whole hell of a lot stronger. Yeah, it's it's quite good. I, I will not get into speculation with you. As I said, I, I know what's coming, but uh, um, it, it's it, there are some cool places uh, that we are going with this show, and I am I'm excited to to, to talk more about it. And I got to say, uh, for me, just coming out of the gate. Um, I look Holden is a very fun character, no doubt about it. Bill Tinch, uh, every day in every way becomes more my favorite character on this show. <laughs> uh, just because he he does not care, he just most of the time he just wants to go home, have a drink, and get some sleep. And <laughs> these are things that I can I can truly uh, relate to. So yeah, so uh, in another week. We'll we'll be back with two more episodes of uh, of Mind Hunter, and uh, there is some some good shit coming. So, um, Duncan, in between now and then, mm. uh, first of all, where can people find you? And also, what are you uh, what are you looking forward to watching between now and next week? Um, so, what I've got coming out by the time this episode drops, you will have made your appearance on the Summer Teapot's Top 10 series for 1995. Sexy. Stacked year, which we will discuss Seven, The Prophecy, Day of the Beast, Castle Freak, In the Myth of Madness, The Addiction Habit, Tales from the Hood, Lords of Illusion, and Species. So it was a ton of fun. It was myself, yourself, Andy Blockley, and The Witch from Witch versus the Doomsday Clock. So that will have dropped. Uh, in terms of movies, I am looking forward to seeing in the interim I don't think I'm at the cinema again now before we sit back down but I do have a pile of movies that I do need to kind of get through at the moment so um, yeah so I, nothing concretely planned at the moment but very much looking forward to, to sitting down over the weekend and maybe catching 
one or two movies. In terms of ways you can get in touch with me, it's the usual avenues. Check out podcasts under the stairs on iTunes. Come across to Facebooks, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash cast. And I've been pimping it loads and loads. Uh, but there is a new app out called Flick Chat or Flick app, but the, the actual app is called Flick Chat. You can get it on iOS or Android. It's free, and it's a kind of message board style social media specifically for podcasters and listeners. So it bridges the gap. Uh, it's very addictive. It's very fun, and you can come across and check my show out by clicking the join with code button and typing in the podcast under the stairs, all one word, and I'm over there. Fantastic. And uh, yeah, and on uh, FlickChat, you can also find uh, Legion Podcasts uh, at that all one word, Legion Podcasts. And there's a thread for Duncan and Bo, I'm correct, where you can recommend things or carry the conversation that we're having just now over there. So if you checked out the first two episodes of Mindhunter, come across, get involved with the Legion one and then click on the Duncan and Bo, uh, come correct, chat thread and start chatting to us about Mindhunter. And if you don't, then, uh, well, there's not, not, not much we can do about that, really. I was going <laughs> to... All gonna, we can do is ask. Yeah, uh, really, just so we're, we're leaning on your good graces. Um, <laughs> so, and you can find uh, all my stuff, as well as plenty of others, uh, hard work and, and good work, over at legionpodcasts.com. Uh, I would point you to the new season of uh, Pick 6 Movies, which is the show I do with uh, my buddy Chad. And we are doing a season called Not That One, This One, mm. uh, where we do remakes of movies that most of the time you don't remember had remakes, um, like King Kong in 1976. And uh, what else? Uh, the Planet of the Apes with Mark Wahlberg. Uh, you'll forget about that one if you give yourself half a second. <laughs> and uh, if, if you're if you're lucky, you've forgotten about that one. Yeah. And also uh, Poltergeist. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which you may remember was a remake, uh, as well as uh, we just did The Wicker Man, the Nicolas Cage Wicker Man. Oh, my gosh. Which is a great excuse, though, to watch the original Wicker Man. Yeah, and, and it's also a great excuse to see Nicolas Cage go absolutely fucking crazy. Yeah, there's there's a lot of him karate-kicking ladies in that movie that's real funny. And just screaming at bees that aren't there. Yeah, ugh. Anyway. And I want to see the outtake reel for that whole scene because i just think a lot of that was just him going <laughs> oh absolutely absolutely and and weirdly that scene only exists in the director's cut that was not in the theatrical release I, I'm, I'm why anyone would cut that scene out is beyond me it's yeah it's already a trash fire what are you doing <laughs> um, so uh yeah. <laughs> this is a scene that will tip it over the edge right this is the one that's too gruesome and or ridiculous for this movie in which ellen burston is attended by bee ladies who the fuck knows anyway but uh yeah you can check that show out uh over on legionpodcasts.com and uh we'll be back in a week to talk about two more episodes of mindhunter so uh until then say good night duncan good night duncan (laughs) stay for just a while stay and let me look at you It's been so long I hardly knew you Standing in the door Stay with me a while I only want to talk to you We've traveled halfway around the world To 
find ourselves again September morn We danced until the night became a brand new day Two lovers playing scenes from some romantic play September morning still can make me feel that way Look at what you've done Why you've become a grown-up girl I still can hear you crying In the corner of your room And look how far we've come So far from where we used to be But not so far that we've forgotten How it was before September morn Do you remember how we danced that night away Two lovers playing scenes from some romantic play September morning still can make me feel that way September morn We danced until the night became a brand new day Two lovers playing scenes from some romantic play September morning still can make me feel that way